Hello, you. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you so much for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose this week on the show. It's a sin star. Callum Scott Howells joins me to tell us all about his new role in the West End's Cabaret. William Boyd, for it is he, has a new romantic novel out called The Romantic, and he's here to chat all about it. Show chef Martha whips up some savoury treats. We have a go at Guess the Guess, see if you can guess this week's mystery voice, and we'll be putting our heads together to solve your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Here's Maria to tell us more. Yes, Maria! Hey, good morning, Graham. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you very much. You've had a very busy week. I have. I've been all over the country. You've been all over the country promoting your book. Can I just say, have you been to York? No, is it lovely? It's like crazy lovely. Like someone should tell someone about it uh, because it's really very nice. I mean, really. Are you, trying to boost, are you trying to boost your book sales in York? Is it a bit slow in York at the moment? No, no, I've been, I've been there already. I've done it. I've, oh, done, oh, oh, I've sold every book I ever will in York. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's properly pretty. It's really a lovely... I mean, everywhere I've been, no offence, Nottingham, uh, everywhere... Uh, <laughs> no, because I went to both those places at the same time. So, uh, but York, I was very... I mean, you know, I like New York. Turns out old York, quite good. Yeah. Oh. Um, will, are you being will you stop- be buying a flat there? Uh, a house, yes. I'll buy a castle. Um, yes. uh, have you been stopped in the street? Have, have people been? You know, have, you been, have you been inundated with with feedback and fans? Because I've been on the televisual. Yes. Well, it's funny because I haven't been on the televisual, you know, for a while. And um, Twitter, obviously, has been invented. So that's an interesting dynamic. Um, People do seem to think that um, I'm in charge of it all. You know, I invented the program. I wrote the theme song, (laughs) sang the theme song, (laughs) etc. Can I just say, I'm a jobbing actor slash presenter slash agony aunt. And I go where the work is. Is Graham. And it is know. funny, people don't really get that, that actually, you know, you're just trying to feed the dog. <laughs> and the, se- the sense of, I really don't care, it is strong with us. <laughs> well, you know that notion of, if you haven't got anything nice to say, shut up. Um, nobody seems to understand that on Twitter, but then it's easy, isn't it, to um, just sort of get angry with people on Twitter. Well, it, Twitter Twitter's funny because it's like shouting at the television, but now the television can hear you. <laughs> exactly that. Well, you, you make a point of it hearing you. But, you know, my feeling is if you don't like something, there's so much else to watch. Yes, it is funny because presumably people are telling you, like, uh, in detail what they did. <laughs> you think, yes, it, absolutely. It, it's an hour. You spend an hour not enjoying something. Watch something else. Yes, and my clothes and my hair. And, you know, you're under such scrutiny and I had slightly forgotten that. But really, I don't mind because, you know, it's gone now. I've recorded it. It's gone. And I do think it gets very exciting as we go on in Unbreakable because when people start to get eliminated, you know, the first series is always difficult. You're introducing people. People, you either like them or you don't. And then, to series, first episode. And then, you know, you either get invested in those people or you don't. And I think it's not, you know, it, it is what it is. It wasn't ever meant to be university challenge. Um, so, look, I'm defending it here as a piece, <laughs> as a, as a piece of television that um, you may find entertaining or you may not. The lovely thing about life is you're not forced to watch anything. 
absolutely correct. Well done. Um, yes. Can I just say, I didn't see you in, uh, introducing the, um, the, the Liverpool got Eurovision last night. Um, so I didn't see how you commiserated with Glasgow. How did you commiserate with Glasgow? There was no mention of Glasgow. The minute, the minute Liverpool <laughs> won, it was as if Glasgow had been wiped off the map. We, oh. we, we didn't know what it was. Uh, you know, Kay Adams and Lawrence Chaney were st- stood there. There was a big crowd in, in the art gallery. Uh, no, no mention of them again. Uh, good old Liverpool. Yes, I have to say, uh, the the reveal of of the host city, I'm not sure how well it was produced. They gave me an envelope with a card in it and they were very strict. They said, okay, you open the envelope and then, you know, the the name of the city's on one side. You you hold that towards you and then when you're queued... <laughs> so you can when, read it. So yeah, no, so, so I can read it. And then uh, when you're queued, you read that out. Yeah, some bright spark had put the name on a card and on the front of it, it had the official logo, Eurovision Song Contest 2023, Liverpool. Oh, no. The tension, I feel, I feel the tension was slightly robbed from the moment. It dwindled, it dwindled away from you. Um, So can I come with you to Liverpool? Uh, you can go to Liverpool, not with me, obviously, but you can go to Liverpool. Oh, yeah. oh, oh can't, can't I have a back access all areas pass? Because, you know, I, I know you. Yeah, well, as I say, Airbnbs in Baron Furness, they're going fast. So uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I would hurry. Do you know, it's so lovely to have friends in high places who do you favours. <laughs> I find that most pleasurable thing about knowing famous people. Can I just say, you, yes. are, you are going to be the first of so many people going, can we get tickets? Can we get tickets? Like, I'm you... absolutely amazed I'm the first, frankly. And I, <laughs> I take that, Graham, the first to be rejected. Out of many rejections to come. Yeah. Listen, if I get in, I'll be doing well. Security's going to be very tight. Very, very tight. <laughs> you know, there's the mayor of Liverpool, all his friends. Yeah, Even... all, the, all the relations of the Beatles. <laughs> yes, all of them. I mean, Sonia's extended family alone. <laughs> Sonia! We love Sonia. I thought she might have a cardiac arrest last night, but uh, no, she was With good. Excitement. With, With excitement. the excitement. Yeah, no, she's still fit as a flea. She she was wearing, I have to say, I don't know how old Sonia is, but she looked amazing. She was wearing very short shorts over a black tight. It was, uh, it was a, uh, you know, I, it was a kind of like, what will I wear on the one show? I'll be standing outside, uh, something sexy but warm. And she, I thought she nailed yeah. the brief. Yeah, well done, and her. well done, Sonia, for just wearing what you want to wear. Go, girl. Yeah, yeah, said Maria, who's had a lot of stick for her dress choices. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to wear what I wanted to wear. My uh, favourite my favorite one was, are you wearing Jesus sandals? <laughs> <laughs> was that what a compliment? I am? <laughs> was no, that? no, it wasn't. What if I am wearing Jesus sandals? What's it to you? Virgin Radio. Radio Ooh, have you got a letter? I've got two letters. I'm going to read the first one. Okay, this is going really well. Okay, yeah. Dear Graham and Maria, I joined... What are you doing? Stop fidgeting. I joined... (laughs) (laughs) Stop it. Dear Graham and Maria, I joined my current team about a year ago, having worked for the wider company for three years now. And although I... Stop laughing. Although I love my new role, I find my colleagues very cliquey. I notice they have a separate WhatsApp group, go out for lunch together and have dinner parties at each other's houses. And they don't invite me. 
Recently, the vast majority of the team were invited for dinner at my manager's house, and I wasn't invited. It was all very secretive and behind my back. What they don't know is that I have access to his diary. They even invited a colleague who left the team last year. There was also a weekend away arranged at Easter, which I was invited to at short notice, but discovered that it was only because someone dropped out. I think of myself as a fun young person and fully understand people will have their in-groups at work. But I can't help feeling excluded and let down by people that I thought liked me. Should I be bothered? Should I confront the situation? Any advice is much appreciated. And that is from Jake in Rochdale. Oh, Jake in Rochdale, it's horrible to feel excluded. It's like being at school again and having fallen out with the, you know, the, the top one in the gang. So I think I, what's coming to me here, Jake, is that is it because you work for the boss, your manager, and everybody's manager, because you know you invited dinner and you had the diary. So they don't know whether or not you're going to feed things back. Are you one of them or are you, you know, working with your manager? That's a possibility. That's a little bit kind of, you know, paranoid perhaps of me. However, I would say to you, Jake, why don't you just casually, en passant, say, hey, can I join the WhatsApp group? There then you're in the group and they have to include you. Hey, I noticed you all have a WhatsApp group. Can I be joined? Can I, will you do that? The other thing you could do, if, if this is really bothering you, is to have a drinks party at your house. You know, you, you turn the other cheek, as it were, Jake in Rochdale, and you say, I'd love you all to come round, have a drink, da, 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 get to know each other. I'm only on the team for a year. So you really push the envelope. I don't think it's worth getting snippy about, no. but I think you can do things that will ameliorate the situation and will put you in a position where, what are they going to do? They're going to say, no, we're not going for drinks at his house, in which case you know where you stand. So that is a difficult one and it's a bit of a gamble. Graham. Yes, I don't make that gamble. Do not invite people to a drinks party. That's really? no, oh no, no, no. And nobody and nobody view. wants to be in another WhatsApp group. I mean, you know, he's noticed there is a WhatsApp group. He I mean, he might get in it and then he'd be like, why did I ever want to be in this stupid thing? Uh so I think Jake in Rochdale do nothing. Put up oh. and shut up. Put up and shut up. Because, event, look, he's only been in there a year. They obviously don't hate him because when somebody dropped out, he they did invite him. So I think it's just, it'll take a while to just get into the gang. He's the newbie. They don't know if he's going to be sticking around. You know, all of that sort of stuff. Who knows? I mean, they sound he's like a miserable bunch. He's the wider bunch. company for three years, Graham. So he the wider been... company. The wider company. Yeah. Now he's yes, in a team. Now he's in a team, but wait, he works for the manager. Is this putting pressure on them to think, we don't think he's one of us, he's working for the manager? Well, the manager's got, got the, access to But the manager's been invited to things, so, so no, that, that can't be it, because the manager's at these events. So I just think it, it may take time, and if it, nev if it never happens, I know it's a bit miserable, Jake, but honestly, who cares? You, you know, you have your own social life. I think if you... If you very obviously aren't bothered by this, then you will be included. If you start kind of sniffing around and being a bit kind of like mm, 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 uh, at the door, then that 
it will put people off. Certainly don't mention it to anybody, I think. Just... No, well, he's mentioned it to us, so a lot of people in Rochdale might know now. But I'm not suggesting that he goes, me, 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 at the door like a little whiny dog. But I'm suggesting he just says, it's very simple, oh, can I join the WhatsApp group? And if they say no, you go, okay. Um, you know, yes, of course, nobody wants another WhatsApp group. But you're working from your perspective, Graham, which is you never want to go out. You never want to <laughs> have people at your house. And you never want to see another WhatsApp group in your life. Um, he's spending an awful lot of time with these people. You're at work sort of sometimes 8, 12 hours a day. So he wants it to be easier. So I think doing nothing is a frustration. Yes, but I think I think it is the best. Honestly, this could turn around really fast. I think something's going something's going to give soon. If you think you get on with these people at work, I imagine you do get on with them at work. And you know, no one's asked you to join this WhatsApp group. I I don't. I think ask any little thing you do to push, people will go whoa. Uh, we're not ready. You know, I just think you've got to play this very carefully and you've got to be cool and on the side. And, you know, hopefully it went well, the one you were invited to the, uh, at the last minute because somebody dropped out. You know, so it, it just every little thing will mean you're more included. You'll be, you have to be included at the Christmas party, you know, things like that. So you'll be fine. I, I think I think time will solve this problem. And if it doesn't, they're all horrible people and you really mustn't care. There, there. I've said it. I've said it. Yeah, well, we agree to disagree on this one. Well, actually, I don't agree to disagree. I just disagree. Okay. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure the listeners... <laughs> and I know you don't care. No, the listeners will have a lot of chat about HR. You know, the sort of stuff we know nothing about, Maria. Yes, they will. They will. <laughs> People who actually it, work in an office... Restorer? People who work in an office will have advice for Jake and Rochdale, <laughs> the two of us. Um, yeah, I think just, uh, yeah, book a meeting room and... Uh, <laughs> We know nothing. By the way, Graham, by the way, are you coming for drinks with the team um, tomorrow night? <laughs> I was asked, Ria, and I, I don't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> now, there isn't drinks with the team tomorrow night. I drink you. Oh, Maria. Oh, Maria. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Dab responses. A part one. And my favourite responders today will be getting. <gasps> now, if you didn't, if you didn't, if you had some advice in your head and you didn't send it in, more fool you. Because you could have got a bottle of Waitrose Lost and Found Frappat wine. Waitrose Loved and Found wines are lesser known varieties from around the world, carefully chosen by their buyers. This light and juicy red wine. Oh. You had me at light. Uh, uses the Frappato grape variety native to Sicily. Oh, yes. It's full of vibrant strawberry, raspberry and floral flavours. I know. I know. And it's a screw top. I mean, what's not to love about that? Uh, OK, who's getting that? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, Georgie in Oakham. Uh, Jake, they sound hideous. Focus on your own social life away from work. If it's so important to you to be included, then it's time to leave and find a nice place to work full of grown-ups. I mean, you can't say fairer than that, Georgie, can you? Has Jake actually told the group he wants to attend the events? If you want something, you have to go and get it. It won't come to you. Forget WhatsApp. Just be enthusiastic and vocal and make it clear you want to be included. Chris and Poole. That's terrible advice. Uh, but thanks, Chris. Uh, but I don't I don't see a bottle of Waitrose lost and found for Padawan wine in your future. That's all I'm telling uh, Jake, office dynamics are complex and can take a while to change. There will be events where you will be invited, like Xmas party and team building events. Use these carefully to become part of the gang and maybe suggest more frequent office get-togethers. If that doesn't work, suck it up. 
Well, Dave and Gloucester has given him options there. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Joy in Lincolnshire writes, Jake needs to stop making a big deal about this. Maybe the rest of the team can smell his desperation scent and there is nothing worse than that smell. Oh, joy. Uh, if Jake enjoys his job on a day-to-day -day basis and no one is being particularly mean to him, then what more does he want? All right. Uh, I am going to award the Waitress Loss Event for Pato Wine to Georgie in Oakham for her sensible ad advice. Graham's Guide. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's good. That's good. Hoo ha. <laughs> Polly, Polly producer, went to Berlin last week. So you should have put your German voice on. Oh, my meat. No, it would have triggered her. <laughs> it would. It would. She'd have gone, on, gone off on one. I'm going to read the second letter now. Okay. Pay attention. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Dear Graham and Maria, my friend Anna and I have known each other since infant school. And apart from a few years when she worked in the US, we have always lived close and always been there for each other. Until recently. After dating, in inverted commas, the one for a few months, she finally introduced us to him. I was shocked to discover he was a man who had been in a relationship with a co-worker of mine a few years ago and made her life hell, cheating, stealing, gaslighting, the whole shebang, until she finally came to her senses and threw him out. I kept silent until I noticed Anna's personality begin to change. She stopped coming out and keeping in touch, and I found out that a date for the wedding has been set, but neither I nor her friends have been invited. I finally managed to corner her, ooh, ooh, and in her anger, she told me that she knew everything I had done to her fiancé and to leave her alone. All lies. She won't believe me, and I'm really worried, but I don't know if I can do anything. I even spoke to her mother, who has also been left out in the cold. Help, and that is from Helen in Carlisle. Listen, Helen in Carlisle, your friend, Anna, <clears throat> is a grown woman, and she has made this decision to alienate everyone and to put this man, because he is the one, and now fiancé, and they're getting married, ahead of everyone else. Perhaps a foolhardy move on her part, but I'm not sure you can do anything. You just have to stand by and watch this unravel. Who knows? You know, he may have been cheating, stealing and gaslighting on your fellow co-worker who he previously went out with because they weren't right together. And sometimes people don't know how to get out of relationships. So they just behave very badly, hoping someone else will end it. And she did. She threw him out. Uh, this may be better. Maybe they're more aligned, this man and Anna. But I just, you've, you've said your piece, you cornered her, you made her very cross and she responded with you know being quite spiteful and to leave her alone what did you do to her fiance have you done anything you don't mention this you mention your colleague who threw him out but did you do anything i don't know no i think not she I'm, says she says it's all lies because yeah. i think isn't he just he basically he has to poison uh anna against helen because helen knows the truth you know he must have felt very seen when he bumped into helen so i think that's probably the problem <laughs> Yes. So she's been tarred with a horrible sort of, you know, 
nastiness. And uh, he's now saying, I don't want anything to do with you. But I do think she can do anything. Well, see, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I personally, I think this is quite a, this woman has found herself in quite a dark situation in this man is obviously very controlling, very manipulative. And he has done that classic controlling thing of annexing her and removing all friends and family. You know, the fact that the mother's been left out of the cold and apparently there's a wedding in the offing. I mean, it, it's horrible. This really is horrible. And and yet, I kind of agree with you. I don't know what you do because she is, or certainly believes herself to be, madly in love with this man. And she has decided to believe what this man says rather than the evidence in front of her eyes. And if that happens to someone you love, it's... It's dark because I'm not sure how you rescue them from that situation. I don't um, think you can. I don't think you can rescue. I think you just have to stand by Helen in Carlisle and, you know, don't obviously say when it all goes wrong. Um, I did tell you, you just yes, have to be... Sub- no, don't ever say no, that. No, Never, no. ever say that to anyone. But you just have to stand by and and pick up the pieces afterwards. Help her pick up the pieces because she has alienated herself from everyone. She is alone in this. If he decides to gaslight, steal or cheat or whatever, then she will be just isolated completely. And then you have to come in and forget all the nastiness and be kind to her because that's what friends do. And one of the problems is because you kind of think, oh, should there be an intervention? All friends get together. But I think the more she knows that people are against him, the more they become like star-crossed lovers and it kind of binds them together. You know, oh, the world's against us. Nobody wants our relationship to exist. And so I think she'll kind of dig her heels in and it'll make it worse. Yeah, and you double ma- down, don't yeah, you? Yeah, and also things. make it much harder for her to admit, oh, you actually, you were all right and this is an absolute nightmare and he's a cad and all those bad words that we can't say on the radio. Uh, so I... This is a really tricky one because it's not like a pretend problem. This is real. Uh, this woman is in an awful situation and, and it's how to extract her from it, how to give her permission to say, I've made a big mistake. I shouldn't I shouldn't be marrying this man. I must get out. I hope something happens before the actual uh, knot is tied uh, because it'll be so much harder to extract yourself after that. Eww. Yes, but, but I think this is like the first problem and you say do nothing. I think you've tried, Helen, um, and you just have to stand by and watch this unravel. Or not, you know. I mean, it may work. There's a possibility that that will happen too. I mean, However, yeah. you have lost Anna for the time being, and I that's really, a sad thing. Yeah, I really, really hope the uh, listeners have some uh, amazing insight. Suddenly somebody cuts through all this and goes, oh, here's a really simple thing you can do. I hope that happens. The responses, part two. And my favourite responders will be bottle- winning a bottle of that. Waitrose, it's loved and found. Loved and found, not lost and found. It was lost and found, but it's also loved and found. Yes, these are the lesser-known varieties of grapes from around the world. So this is the uh, one from Sicily for pato grape, and it's light and juicy. There you go, thread wine, screw top, love it. Okay, Hugh in Brighton. Uh, what a horrible situation, and one I've been in myself. I think the only thing she can do is write a letter listing the objective facts stating what has changed. Acknowledge that her friend sees things differently and to say she is there if she ever wants to talk. It is very difficult when a friend feels so loyal to their partner and it's worth acknowledging that too in the letter and just stating how much she values the friendship. Good luck. 
I mean, that is sensible. Of, but then you worry, will she even get the letter? You know, because these sorts of situations, it gets, it yeah, it gets dark very fast. Uh, Anna, stand back. Just be there for your friend when it all goes wrong. She will need you then. That's Sam at Edinburgh. Anna is being gaslit by a master manipulator. Helen has tried and she needs to try again. She needs to keep trying. Maybe get some advice from a relationship counsellor on how to approach. I wish we could all go to Carlisle and take Anna away. I'm upset for Helen. That's Helen in Preston. Yeah, I may be a professional would have some advice for how to break the spell because that's kind of what needs to happen because you know Anna believes that she is in this loving relationship and the you know the world is a ginnum the lady concerned about her friend should go to the police wow and ask for a Claire's Law disclosure the police won't tell her anything but if the fiancé is known and has a past with regard to domestic issues they will contact her friend that's from Sarah in Oxfordshire now, is that a well-known thing? I'd never heard of that. Claire's Law Disclosure, and it's Claire with an I. Uh, so that could be worth doing, Helen in Carlisle. Uh, Claire's Law Disclosure, they won't tell Helen anything, but they will contact the friend if he has uh, a troublesome past. Uh, and also maybe go to a, a specialist. I, I'm going to give the loved and found wine to Helen in Preston. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Time to meet my first guest of the day. We all fell in love with him as Colin in It's a Sin. Now he's wowing crowds in Cabaret, the Kit Kat Club here in London's glittering West End. It is Cabaret. Callum Scott Owls. Hey! hey Sorry, you? I feel like there should be a crowd, some, <laughs> some smattering of applause. You're enough of a crowd, Graham. <laughs> and you get enough applause in the West End. Yeah, there's enough validation in your life, frankly. Yeah, you don't need any more. Uh, so how is it going so far? Because when did you start? You started on Monday. On Monday, yeah. We started Monday night um, and it's just been so fun. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly having the time of my life. Like, as you say, like, the audiences are so brilliant and they're so receptive. Like from the from the very first moment, you know they they love it, yeah. And it's just a dream. It's it's a it's a proper dream come true, and I'm just having a whale of a time. Because had you seen it before the, before any talk of you being in it happened? Yeah. So I I saw it a year ago. I saw it with Eddie and Jesse. Um, I was I was filming abroad when it when it first opened, so I missed the the gala night. But then I when I got back, I I it was the first thing on my list because Amari was in there as well. So I saw I saw it and I just oh Graham, I just fell in love. Like it's such a the show is amazing anyway, and I love the film, but this production is just wild. Like it's just there's yeah. something about it that is just so special. Well, if people haven't so if people haven't heard about this, so because it, it's not you don't just it's not like a West End thing. You don't just go to a production of Cabaret. It's it starts from the minute you arrive outside the theatre. Yeah. So you enter through stage door and then you walk all the way through like the basement. Then you go up into the theatre into the Gold Bar and it's completely immersive. There's a there's a prologue company that greet you as you come in, and it's completely you you literally walk into the Kit Kat Club yeah. Um, so it's it's a very unique experience for audiences that come and it's something that kind of hasn't really been done before with Cabaret so it's super cool for anyone who comes and um, yes and what we've seen so far this week is that it, they do get they go, on, they go on a hell of a ride for sure no because that's the thing because you're, you're rehearsing this uh, you know presumably during the day with the company whatever da, da, but because the crowd you know they're a bit liquored up <laughs> Literally, yeah. So, uh, how how wild does it get? I know you're only a week in, but yeah. how, how handsy are they? Well, it's so, it's just 
is so funny because it's like as you say like they get a drink as they come in and they are liquored up for sure and it's the type of show where it's so kind of sexy and fun and wild that they kind of some you know some people do like sort of some people sing along and some people shout and scream and it's and actually like what makes my job more it makes my job more fun because there's more things to kind of jump on to and and kind of respond to you know yeah and and it's part of it i guess it's kind of part of the job i guess well i guess it's your part's easy because not easy but no in terms of dealing with the audience because because (laughs) it's so easy i mean any anyone could do what you're doing Uh, but you know that the, the, the there's never a fourth wall for you you no, know, yes. Yeah, yeah. Whereas presumably other parts are, are harder if there's a kind of a crowd going a bit wild. Exactly. From from the moment, the, literally my, my scene partner, I guess, in the whole show is, is the audience. It's the people in the front row, the back row, up in the gods. And and that that's what makes it so fun. And actually what's been interesting is, is seeing like on, on different nights how receptive people are. Like some people will just laugh and sort of politely sort of clap along. And some people will fall on sort of wolf whistle, <laughs> which is which is. Brilliant. Brilliant, I love him. And, uh, I mean, how much Callum can you bring to this? Because, obviously, it's it's a very different thing taking over a, a, a part. You know, mm. is it... Are you still kind of following the footprint of Eddie Redmayne? Because are you the third, third. MC? Yes, third. Yeah, yeah, So, has it morphed? Has it changed a lot over the, over the time? The the beauty of this production and working with this creative team is is that they, they've allowed me and, and Fra as well, who took over from Eddie, to kind of really bring ourselves as much of ourselves as we want and can to this role um because i th- i think that's that's also like what the role demands it doesn't it doesn't want someone to come in and do the same it actually every time a new actor takes on the role. It wants it demands something different. It demands something from it demands you really, and I think that's what's so great and what I'm loving so far is really just bringing myself to it and bringing something different. And I loved what Eddie did, and I loved what Fraud did. They are so incredible, and I've got massive shoes to fill. I'm totally aware of that, but um, I'm also aware of the fact that I'm not them. So I'm, yeah. I'm really having a, a, a ball, kind of bringing myself to it. It could be terrible, Graham. Who knows? It's our first no, I'm week. Sure, it's very good. <laughs> and, and listen, because you're Welsh, this is kind of this this lazy assumption. Of course, he can sing, but you you have been in musicals before. Yes, yeah, yeah. I did. I, I, my first musical in London was uh, "She Loves Me" at the Manier Chocolate Factory in 2016, um, and that was really fun. And that was the last kind of musical I did, I guess. But I grew up doing musicals. It was the, I grew up in the Amdram scene in Wales, so um, there was a lot of musicals when I was young. You know, a bit of Rock of Ages, a bit of Lemmes. Wow! But tell me, so you must have been like a child. Do you have a chaperone when you're in "She Loves Me"? No. <laughs> Well, I was 16. I actually probably should have had a chaperone anyway, even though I was of age, because it was my first time in London and I grew up in the valleys. But um, no, I've, I I was kind of, um, I kind of just got thrown in the deep end. My, my parents are very trusting. I don't know why, but... But had you graduated, because you went to the Royal Welsh something. Yes, Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama. That's it. The Royal Welsh something. Yeah, it sounds good. You, sounds... you went there. so uh... I'm just lazy, Graham. I no, went 20 did... minutes down the road to train. No, no, but did you... Had you graduated when you did the Many a Factory show? So I did that just before I trained. So I, I that was just before I went and that, wow. and then from there I wanted to train really. Um actually the 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 team at the Chocolate Factory was very sort of supportive of me going to train. They said, you know, Babani and Tom Syracuse said like 
go and train, go and do, you know, go and hone in on your craft. And, and that's what I did. And then it was kind of the best thing I did because I really learned everything at, sc- at school, really. Well, that, that yeah, that bet paid off. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was worth doing. Now, we were saying, though, what a great thing, because it's so different from Colin, it's a saying, this thing that everyone saw you and loved you in. And, and I wondered, you know... Because during the award season, you know, I was sitting in audiences and you know, watching the clips and just the clips of Colin in that bed with his mother, I would be crying. <laughs> so, like, the audience reaction, do people, like, come up and hug you? Do people, I mean, it must be like that. It was, it was very interesting, like, doing the show and it coming out during COVID because when, when, when I would go out and I was only really walking the dog because I was living at home with my parents when the show came out. And I remember really vividly the day after the show came out, and I think you know some people had sort of streamed it over the night or the first night it came out. I was I was walking my dog my dog in Boot Park in Cardiff, and and um I was like what I, he was like doing a poo by a tree basically, and this woman came up and she just went. Colin and it was like for me that was like the first moment of just and, and it sort of that, that sort of continued after the show had come out and like people just but, but what I, I guess what's so lovely is that people would say their own stories about yes. their own families and yeah. that's what was so lovely about, about really this show is that it brought up stories from people who had passed and people who were being remembered again and I think that's what is such a privilege about the show really it's not just like oh Colin from It's a Sin it's actually it reminded me so much of my uncle of my cousin of my best friend you know and what happened to you because I, I I saw you at an award show and you were all dolled up in your Tom Brown finery and I've always changed look at him with his stylist I was scared to come up to you Graham I was like oh my god it's Graham Norton uh, no I saw you there and uh, so like has it opened obviously it's opened doors but what sort of doors have you have you have made inroads into America do they know you there now so I've I've just um I've just finished a film, uh, a Netflix film. It's a, it's a, it's called The Beautiful Game. It'll be out very soon. Um, this is my first movie, and um, it's, it's very, it's been, it's been what, it's been mad. Like, it's, I think the difference between doing a film to telly was something to adjust to first of all and then also shooting in a foreign country was another thing working with Bill Nye was then another thing you know it's these things that really is you know I'm, I'm still adjusting to even doing cabaret like having my own dressing room you know because we all know well as actors know the chocolate factory is, isn't you know it's, it's not all glamour down there so actually being at the playhouse and, and having a dressing room is, is, is a Privileged in say, if you think that's glamour, you should try you try another theatre. Oh really? <laughs> the backstage of the playhouse is so awful. Oh really? <laughs> well, because didn't they? I think they sold the backstage as flats. Oh, yes, there, there are the, some of it that's yeah, flats now. The, yeah, yeah. There, were, there were nice. Well, maybe I can have a flat now. then. <laughs> yes. Why do they buy you a flat? <laughs> they should buy me if a flat. If they really loved you. <laughs> If they valued you, Gavin. well, you you said it now, Graham. Can you put in a good word, please? Uh, so, the, when will the beautiful game Netflix? When's that going to happen? So, we don't have a date yet, but I'm I think sometime in the new year, very early on. Um, and it's a really cool film. It's about the homeless World Cup, and it's about the team that represents England. And we oh, got this is to the Michael. Home. Is this the Michael Sheen? Yes, so Michael Sheen um, funded her in Cardiff and he was a very big, very big part of it when he was there. Um, but yes, it, he kind of made it famous, I guess. Um, so th- this film is about the World Cup, the Homeless World Cup. It's been going for about 20 years um, and it's a, it's a very special film, something I'm very proud to be a part of and I really can't wait for people to see it. 
And is it uh, footballing models own? Uh, can you play football? <laughs> well, <laughs> so I love, I actually do love football. I, I, I grew up kind of playing it. I didn't last very long. <laughs> but um, but I do love it. I'm a big Cardiff City fan and as are my as is my father. Uh, so yeah, I grew up playing football. Um, so doing this film was, was so fun. We had we had so much fun out in Rome. And uh, tell me this, the uh, you know, so you're doing Cabaret till the end of January. Do you know what's next or is it, are you just enjoying this? I do, yeah. So I'm doing a play. Um, it just got announced actually at the National National Theatre. Um, and it opens in February. It's called Romeo and Julie. It's a it's a, a riff on Rome, Romeo and Julia. Got it. Um, <laughs> uh, and, it's, and it's written by Gary Owen. It's at the Dorfman Space in the National Theatre, and it'll be there in February. Um, and I, I really can't wait. It's been a long time coming this play, so um, I really can't wait for it. Uh, what a great time to be Callum Scott Howells. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm so happy for you. Thrilled thank for you. you. Uh, Callum is appearing for the next four months in Cabaret Kit Kat Club here in London. Tickets available at kitkat.club. Kitkat.club. There it is. I nearly got it taken <laughs> off air, <laughs> but I didn't. Uh, listen, thank you so much. It's a two-show day. Two-show day. Here go, we go. Go rest. Go thank get, you, get your product on Jay sandwiches and Absolutely. go rest. Thank All right, you for having care me. Yourself. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. What a thrill to welcome to the show uh, Mr. William Boyd. Hello. Hello. Very happy to be here, Graham. Good, good. Well done. <laughs> well said. <laughs> uh, so, The Romantic, the new novel, it is uh, another in, uh, not a series, I'm sure, but it's another of your cradle-to-grave books. It's a whole life. Yes, it's uh, my fourth, in fact, my fourth long one. And so it's sort of become my my USP in a funny sort of way that um, I, the first one I wrote in 1987. And here here we are in... Was in that tw- the Nat Tate one? Or? No, that was called The New Confessions. Oh, OK. Uh, about a, a, a fictional film director. So it kind of follows the history of cinema and his life, cradle to grave, whole life. And... Um, and once I started that, I sort of got the, the urge to do it again from time to time. And so here we are with my fourth whole life, and uh, but set in the 19th century instead of the 20th century. So Cashel Greville Ross, yeah. uh, this is the hard bit, yes. uh, give us an idea of who he is and why we're interested in his life. Well, it's a, it all starts off with a mystery because he thinks he's the orphaned son of, a, of Scottish parents. He's living in County Cork in, in the early 19th century. And then he discovers that everything he's learned about himself is a kind of sham. And his mother and his father have been lying to him. And he's, in fact, somebody entirely different. Um, but because he's a romantic uh, by nature, hence the title, um, he is impulsive. And these shocks or these uh, revelations um, make him react in ways that, you know, more calmer, rational people wouldn't. And he sets off on adventures and he runs away from home when he f- discovers about the, tr- the truth of his parentage. And then other things happen to him. So throughout his long life, he dies when he's 82, um, he's been governed by this nature of his, which is to be impulsive and to listen to his heart and not listen to his head and so it was that curiosity what kind of person is a romantic um, that made me think I'll write a book about such a type and uh, but I thought I'd set it in the 19th century, the Romantic period, particularly the beginning of the 19th century and, um, and follow his life throughout but it's governed by this curse or blessing it depends whether things are going well or going badly and uh, it, it's his he listens to his heart not his head fundamentally and the the book it's almost giddy 
it's so you know it's a breakneck speed it's a real romp through this man's life it it reads like it was fun to write or or are you th- you looking at me thinking if you no, only was. you knew <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, it was it was fun to write and of course the wonderful thing about writing a novel as you know Graham mm-hmm. um, is that you can go wherever you want you don't have to be governed by history or the documentary or reportage and so I take Cashel off to places and events that intrigue me and uh, aspects of his life that I wanted to explore. So it's kind of my whim in a way that shapes his life. And uh, it takes him you know, to, to India, to Sri Lanka, to America, to Africa, places I've been, subjects I'm interested in. So I take this meandering course, but it's, it is not totally meandering because he goes where I want him to go. <laughs> <laughs> and you call it, so it's the romantic, but it's then called the real life of Cashel Greville Ross. And you, you kind of frame it as that it is based in fact. Why do you add that extra layer that it's based on these found a found autobiography and letters and things? This is, this is another thing I tend to do in my fiction. I try to make it seem so real that the reader begins to forget they're reading a novel. And there are all sorts of tricks you can do to bring this about. Um, I wrote a novel with an index. Um, For example, I I created this hoax with David Bowie about a a mythical painter called Nat Tate. Um, And this book is a purported biography of this man but I've said in my author's note, I'm going to write it as a novel with all the license that a novel gives you. Um, but of course, it's got footnotes and he meets real people and he's at real events. He's at the Battle of Waterloo and so on. And this is all to sort of sow the seeds of doubt in the reader's mind. Like, was there a guy called Cashel Greville Ross who lived from 1799 to 1882? And I think it shows how powerful fiction can be. Fiction is the best way of explaining the human condition, explaining this curious adventure we're all on to each other. And so I try to make my fiction seem so real that actually fact is irrelevant. No, I must say, I, 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 you know, I was second-guessing myself. I, I had to Google places in County Cork and go, no, it is fiction. That house, that court does not yeah. exist. And I invented a village, Castle Mount Allen, you know, near Fermoy. You know, this is a sort of liberation you have as a writer of fiction. You're not, you're not held down by the, the documented facts. And it's, uh, it is a liberation and therefore great fun to write. And because there is this love of you writing these cradle to grave books do you feel a kind of pressure to kind of like oh I, at time I better I better do another one or does it just or, or do you not feel like do you not think like that no it takes so long to figure out so I mean I'm, I'm wondering if this will be the last one I write um, never say never I mean my next novel I'm going to re-enter the world of espionage again which is another area that fascinates me but who knows I may get an idea and I might think this is a perfect cradle to grave novel and and Another one will will emerge, but uh, at the moment I've got no plans. <laughs> it must be quite exhausting to start with Cradle and go. I'm going to be writing, but <laughs> maybe, maybe he'll die at thirty. <laughs> yes, it, it is. It's technically because you can't write you can't write a five thousand page novel, which is what a whole life would. Take. So there's a, it's a tremendous amount of kind of technical elision and uh, you know flash forward, flash back going on. So it is it's technically uh, a, a real challenge to write a, a you know, five hundred page novel that actually encompasses a whole life. Um, and uh, not to be indelicate, but as you get older, William, yes. are are these books in a way easier to write? Do you do you have more of a, a grasp on the shape of a life 
a life and and what it's like to be looking back and what it, what the experience of of that. Yes, that's true. I mean, I'm I'm all, this is my seventeenth novel as well, so I'm a, I'm an old an old pro. <laughs> but there's no doubt. I mean, when I wrote my first whole life novel, I was in my mid thirties, so I'd only experienced life up to thirty five. Um, so imagining what it must be like to be an eighty year old man was tricky. Now I'm considerably older. <laughs> I've got a lot more experience, so I know what it's like to be a sixty something year old man. But uh, I still don't know what it's like to be an eighty year old man. So I have to use my imagination. But uh, we have a uh, better idea, though, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. Yes. Yes, exactly. Getting out of a chair gives you <laughs> some right. clue That's right. as to what it might be like. Long flights of stairs. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, and because nowadays uh, books, you know, are mm. particularly popular books, best-selling books like yours, they have a, a life beyond this. So there's the the audio books, you know, people are sniffing around, kind of going, will we make it into a movie or a film? Are you involved in any of that? Or when you finish this book, is that it? You know, because there's a big yeah. audio book. I mean, it's yeah, 70 no, hours there, of there, audio There book. is an audio. I mean, I, I have a parallel life as a, as a screenwriter and I write, I've written a lot of films, a lot of television uh, series as well. So I'm, I'm very interested in the film ad- or TV adaptation of any book I write and I always insist on writing it myself. Oh, so I'm, did you do The Any Human Heart on Channel yeah, 4? Yeah, I've done Oh, yeah, I didn't yeah, realise. Yeah. No, okay. I've, I've written about 20 films and uh, uh, TV shows that have been made. So I have a real parallel life as a screenwriter. So in between novels, I can moonlight in the world of, of movies and TV. And I really enjoy it. And I enjoy the the social experience as well of having colleagues and then I after a while I say I'm off but I see you in a year or so but do you enjoy that because I always feel like if you write a, a screenplay there are so many you know people who aren't so imaginative <laughs> giving you notes on yeah, your lovely yes, work yeah. that must be hard to suck it, up it, it, it is um, but I always I, I have, now I can have a little bit of power I always insist on being an executive producer as well so they can't fire me and, <laughs> and I also have this you know maxim that I only work with people I like and that may be an instinctive liking and I've often turned down jobs or, or, or vetoed people who I thought no this is going to be a disaster um, it's all going to end in tears so I'm very careful about who adapts my books for the production company and the, and people like that and because I am an EP as they say I'm very involved in the whole process which is part of the fun you know that's how I get to meet people like you know Sean Connery and Daniel Day-Lewis and Daniel Craig because they've all been in films I've written yeah um, and you know that's quite cool and I <laughs> and uh, it's better than well I love being in my ivory tower as a novelist with my perfect autonomy but actually it's good to get out of the house from time to time go to meetings and, and hang out with these people and you've also written plays do you prefer is, is writing a play a more pleasurable experience than a film or well I think it is because with a play I've discovered I've had three plays produced you have this six week rehearsal period and you go through the text incredibly thoroughly with the actors and the director and you know they're smart and they're thinking why am I laughing here I should be crying (laughs) And, and it makes you think again so for a writer it's a real pleasure and privilege to kind of pick through the text and it's infinitely malleable of course and because you're the writer you say okay I'll cross that out and write something new and so it's it, whereas in a movie you maybe have a read through before you start shooting but you don't have that intense examination of the story you're trying to tell and so I find the theatre really stimulating actually if you're going to do something collaborative in a way the theatre is, is more intensive than cinema 
And because you do all these different things, you, you, the screenplays, the short stories, the plays, the novels, is it just, do you decide, I'm going to write a novel now, or do you get an idea and you're going to, that's the idea for a novel? Or do you get an idea and go, that's the idea for a short story? Well, I write down every idea I have for saving it for a <laughs> rainy day, uh, carry a notebook with me all the time. But I'm principally a novelist. Um, you know, That's the day job, yeah. if you like. And so I, um, you know, published this novel, The Romantic. Maybe in a couple of years' time, there'll be another one. I've got a good idea for it. But um, on, the, on the other hand, I've got to keep busy. And uh, so I, uh, you know, I write short stories, I write journalism, and I've got all of these various film projects and various stages of, you know, uh, moribund to lively. <laughs> and uh, and um, it, it's just a kind of, it's a very British thing. A lot of British writers are, are always busy. Um, and it sort of comes with the, the, the kind of culture of the of the of the British writer's uh, life that you if you, you you don't sit around twiddling your thumbs or l- lotus eating you you've got to write something that's what you do. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's that or you end up in academia. You end up teaching yes, the yes, novels. Yes, true, yeah. true. Um, let's n- never say never. But let's hope I can avoid that fate. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard poor William Boyd's teaching now? <laughs> yes, poor fellow. <laughs> yeah, you can do one of those master classes. That's really easy. You just sit in a room. Yeah, fine. Uh, Listen, congratulations on this book, uh, William Boyd. It is just a rollicking great read. I'm about a third of the way through. Uh, The Romantic uh, is out in hardback now. Thank you so much for coming in to see us. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us in this ivory tower. (laughs) (laughs) Still to come, it's another round of Guess the Guest. But first, hi, Martha. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm so looking forward to this. Uh, The aroma has reached me across a crowded studio. Uh, What... What exactly is it? It does have a good smell on it today. It is a galangal, chicken, sweet potato and pak choy tray bake. What makes it galangal? Galangal. So we've got galangal paste. Um, we say galangal a lot. <laughs> it's a really fun, to be fair, it's a really fun word. Um, it's similar to ginger. Um, so it's a pure ingredient. It's not a spice blender or anything like that. It's a pure ingredient of galangal, which is similar to, similar to ginger, but a bit less spicy and a bit more aromatic. Okay. Used a lot in Thai cookery. Oh, so is this a is this a would we call this a Thai recipe? Uh, I, I I it's got definitely Thai inspired. It's Thai got a inspired. lot of it's got some fish sauce in there, soy sauce. Thai fusion. Thai fusion. <laughs> yeah. 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 And the Pacific galangal. rim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's from. <laughs> yeah. It's delicious though. It's got. I feel like whenever you have kind of Thai inspired food, it just that aroma that you get the kind of citrusy, salty. It's just it fills the room. And because you've got. In here, you've got your pak choy, you've got your sweet potato, and you've got the chicken. Is that it? Is it a whole meal in one big tray? It's a whole meal in one tray, which... Exactly. Oh. Everyone loves. I love. It's so nice when you don't have to wash anything else up other than the tray. And one bowl to, to whisk together the dressing, but that's it. Okay. I know. You people are, are people selling are salt. this. But also, <laughs> isn't it great when you just put it down on the table and that's it? Yeah. There's your dinner. It's it's perfect. They are my favourite kind of recipes. I feel like there's loads of recipe books out there that are just one tin and they do so well because everyone loves a one tin recipe. Tray bakes. Yeah. They're, they're the way forward. <laughs> they are. And tell me, what so what chicken bits have you... Have you used thigh, breast? What have you used? Yes, this is um, Essential Waitrose chicken thighs. So you can get them in a whole massive pack for one kilogram of chicken. Um, and yeah, really good value. Um, they've got the skin on and the bone in. So you've got to do a little bit of work when you're eating them. But you get all of the flavour from the and the fat it, as yeah, well. Yeah, what is this? Why, do, why are thighs kind of considered the, the tastiest bit of the chicken? I... 
I don't know. I guess they do a lot of, they do the most work. <laughs> so they probably... Well, they're walking around. Yeah, they've been walking. They've been flapping. So they... Don't bring us down. <laughs> develop I... <laughs> more flavour. <laughs> I haven't even finished one. Uh, they are pretty meaty. They are really and delicious. The, the gangal. Uh, it, it gives it a kind of a, almost like a sweetness. It almost tastes like almost caramelised mm. on top. It's so good. Uh, okay, talk us through this. Uh, how do we begin? So, we're going to start by whisking together our dressing. So, we're going to mix together some vegetable oil, some of the galangal paste, which because yes. it looks a bit like ginger when it's in its kind of raw form. So, if you can source fresh galangal, you can make your own paste. But if you're a bit lazy like yeah, me... Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you can buy <laughs> yeah, it from yeah, Waitrose. Martha, yeah, yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, then we're going to add to that some honey, some fish sauce and some soy sauce and a little bit of chilli, chilli flakes. Mm. Whisk it all together and that is your dressing done. Yep. Then you want to put some sweet potato chopped into wedges into a your desired tray. Pop your chicken thighs over the top and drizzle half the dressing on. Toss it all together. Then it goes into the oven for half an hour. Whilst it's in the oven, you want to quarter your pak choy. It comes out of the oven. You're going to put the pak choy in, sprinkle it with a bit of water so it steams a little bit as it goes back in. rest of the dressing goes on the top, into the oven for eight minutes so the pak choy can become nice and tender. And then out it comes. And that's that. Really? <laughs> yeah. What tem- is it in a really high temperature? It was 200 degrees, so quite hot, yeah. So you get a nice bit of caramelisation on the top, which I think creates that such a lovely kind of barbecue charcoal yeah. flavour. But also, I wouldn't have thought uh, sweet potato would cook that fast. Yeah, it cooked. I was also doubtful, but it cooked perfectly No, in the really, time. I mean, it's really, <laughs> really, uh, it's absolutely cooked all yeah. the way through. Really moist. Make sure your oven is totally hot when it goes in. Don't be putting it in in a... As it preheats. I know. Sometimes you can be a bit impatient, can't you? <laughs> I, I yeah, totally the, agree. Oh, it's, it's 112. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> it's just a bit of a warm breath when you open the door. That'll be fine. Yeah. It'll get there. It'll get there. I'll just add another five minutes. What Does that work if you put it in before it's hot and just add some time to it? Yeah, I mean, you can put it in, but then you can't trust the times in the recipe. You need to make sure you're adding and using your thermometer to make sure that you've got it all right. But it's a great recipe, this one. And you could, if you don't like chicken, you could swap it out for fish. That's one of the suggestions, using a bit of cod, um, because the dressing ingredients will taste delicious with something like that. Yes, I, as you were describing that dressing, I was thinking you could put that on anything, mm. just like a stir-fried, be a really nice stir-fried dressing or something. Yeah. Uh, and this uh, highlights the Waitrose Cook's ingredient range. So that's the the galagalagal paste, uh, which is slightly sweet. Uh, stir-fried vibrant Thai fish cakes, oh, it says Oh, that here. would be so good. Because it works so nicely with that fish sauce, um, the nampla. Um, it kind of combines deliciously to create this salty, it's kind of zingy sweetness. And in a fish cake, that would be divine. I have to say, this is a really good, like this is a kind of a, a weekday dinner because it's so quick and easy and people will be wildly impressed. Yeah, I hope so. It's yeah. a bit different, isn't it? It tastes a little bit unusual. It tastes a bit restauranty, which is a nice thing to be able to create in your own oh, home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Particularly so fast. Yes, exactly. Yeah, in less than 40 grease. minutes. Uh, recipes past and present can be found on the Graham Norton with Waitrose Hub on the Waitrose website. You just go to waitrose.com slash showchef to see all the recipes prepared by Martha. You can also check out the recipes on our socials here at Virgin Radio UK. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're very welcome. You've cheered an old radio DJ very much <laughs> this morning. Uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Yes. A sweet or savoury tomorrow? Uh, another savoury. <gasps> another Lovely. interesting ingredient from around the world. Okay. You've literally wet my appetite. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Now, I noticed you just after 11. <laughs> 
in a coat and a hat. <laughs> Tell and no I was one. No, and I was thinking, well, she's very laid back today, but apparently you were delayed, you poor thing. The train's oh, bad. Yeah, the, tra- the the good old train strike. But um, it's amazing what you can do under a bit of pressure. <laughs> I know. Well, it just goes to show this recipe must be must be quick. <laughs> yeah, you really you really can whip this one up. I'll yeah. tell you that much. No, because yesterday you'd have been in trouble, wouldn't you? Because that takes uh, over half an hour. And, yes. Yeah. That one, the chicken, we would have... I would have been worried. This I, one, yeah. I'm fully confident. I might fully have been, cooked. I might have been very ill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, it was just today that the train drivers decided they didn't fancy it. <laughs> what have you made very quickly? So this is a charred corn, lime, and feta pizza. Get out of town. Mm. <laughs> Slash flatbread. I mean, I would rather call it a flatbread because it doesn't have any tomato passata sauce. It's kind of a, a white pizza. Okay, I mean, it does. It looks delicious. It looks very fresh. Mm, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and a nice kind of lunchtime thing. And, and and as we know, if people ran to waitress and bought the ingredients now, you could be having this for lunch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely good. <laughs> Tried and tested. <laughs> uh, what's the thing? Because I know we're featuring the waitress cook's ingredients range. What's the thing from the waitress cook's ingredients range on this? So this is um, a seasoning that goes on at the end called Tajin-style seasoning. It's a lovely Mexican kind of poppy, acidic spice blend that you can sprinkle on things right at the end. It doesn't need to be cooked and it just really lifts and gives a bit of zing. Is it what we used to call a rub? Uh, You could use it as a rub. (laughs) A Mediterranean-style rub or Mexican-style rub. Um, But I think this is a little bit more... It's supposed to be a finisher, like a dust... If you want to be extremely extra and dust your food. But, yeah, it adds a real zing. This is a recipe inspired by kind of Mexican street corn and this is what you'd put on at the end to give it that kind of real, yeah, lift. Okay, and now I'm, I think I know the answer to this due to the speed of the cooking. But are you using uh, like corn on the cob or are you using a can of corn? A corn on the cob? Oh! Yes, no, don't. I can do a lot in half an hour, don't worry. I mean, you must have been a blur in there. <laughs> it must have looked like time lapse photography. <laughs> I'm very pleased this is radio, not TV. That's all I can say. <laughs> I've got to eat this. <laughs> Am I going to break my teeth in those bits of corn? I hope not. <laughs> We shall find out. (laughs) (laughs) We will. (laughs) It was delicious. Oh, thank you. That is very fresh and... Mm. Because it sounds like it might be a little dry. (laughs) But no, it's not dry at all. Yes, it's got a lot of of sour cream on there. Okay, okay, let's go. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go. Okay, here we go, here we go. How do we make charred corn, lime and feta pizza? So, we're going to start with the charring situation. Mm -hmm. So you want to take a big frying pan, stick it on a high heat with no no oil or anything like that, and then in goes two corns of sweet... two cobs of sweet corn, Mm -hmm. even, Mm -hmm. and one jalapeno chilli, pepper, goes into the pan, and then you want to turn them every couple of minutes so you get a lovely kind of charring all over, and it brings a bit of bitterness to the party, brings a little bit of, yeah, barbecued flavour. So once that's charred all over, remove from the heat and allow it to cool down a little bit so before you cut it, if you're running late on time like me, <laughs> you just sacrifice the fingers. <laughs> um, then you want to slice, yeah, slice the the kernels off the cob and slice up that jalapeno, but they should be really nice and soft and have that charred outside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Goes to one side. Your oven should be preheated to a very high temperature. Did, it's you, all leave that it, heat. did you leave it on yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, it's a very quick preheater. Oh, that's um, good. But yeah, you want 240 degrees. What? Say what? You now? want a furnace. <laughs> I mean. I'm not sure my oven goes up to 240 <laughs> degrees. Or you want one of those fancy uh, unis in the garden, a pizza oven, don't you? Oh, 
that, this would be great for something like that. Oh. But yeah, if you ever go to a pizza restaurant, they have those huge ovens where they cook everything at ridiculous temperatures. The pizza is always best as hot as hot as you can get it because it cooks the bread and doesn't make it tough. So okay. Then you get your dough. You can either make pizza dough from scratch or, as the recipe suggests, you can buy frozen pizza dough in Waitrose by Northern Block and then you defrost it and it's perfectly... Defrost it in the fridge overnight and then it's ready to go for your lunch or in the morning. You just pull it out and it's a lovely stretchy dough. OK. I just assumed that was some sort of ready-made flatbread thing. Oh, no. It, it starts life as a raw dough. Wow. <laughs> but you could, if you wanted to make your own dough from scratch, you okay. could... You're welcome uh, okay. to. As this goes on, I'm more and more in awe of you, Martha. The fact that you were wearing a coat <laughs> <laughs> at five past eleven. <laughs> we're now eating this. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm glad that you're impressed. <laughs> I am. Okay, so you've got raw dough. Uh, you've got a lump of that. You presumably roll that out. Yep, you spread that out, and then we're going to put the tear up a ball of mozzarella over the top. You want to dry off your mozzarella because often pizzas can be a bit soggy in the middle, and that's because there's too much liquid in the topping. So Make sure your mozzarella is nice, patted dry. Mm-hmm. Tear that up over the flatbread. Then put on your sweet corn and your corn, your sweet corn and your jalapeno, into the oven for about seven minutes. But basically until that mozzarella is lovely and bubbling and your crust is golden. Then when it comes out, we're going to mix it with some sour. We're going to drizzle it with some sour cream mixed with a bit of lime juice. Yeah. And then the feta goes on top for a bit of saltiness few wedges of lime and then we're going to finally dust it with that tagine style seasoning which really yeah it's a mixture of kind of paprika smoked chilies a bit of acid it's literally got acid in it. it's very very kind of now you tell me acidic yeah <laughs> <laughs> not that kind of acid <laughs> citric acid it's yeah. got that real zing that real vibrancy from lime and sea salt and that goes all the way over the top and then you're ready it'll be a great starter if you're doing like a mexican evening yeah. or something like that so the feta doesn't go near the oven you never cook the, the feta no, no the feta goes on at the end wow uh, well listen i'm so impressed uh, that is delicious and harder to make than i thought oh well thank you <laughs> No, because I just assumed you'd... But actually, so you wouldn't have to make the base. If you did just get a a nice big uh, flatbread, you could just do that, couldn't you? Oh, yeah. Happily. Easily. Yeah. And just... But watch it, because you put it in at the surface of the sun temperature. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Keep a close eye. This isn't one to leave in your oven and walk away. (laughs) No. No, that is not the thing to do. So it's called Tajin seasoning? Yes, Tajin seasoning is the secret ingredient in this, and it's part of the Waitrose Cook's ingredients range. Uh, recipe past present, you can be found on the Graham Norton with Waitrose Hub on the Waitrose website. You just go to waitrose.com slash showchef to see all the recipes prepared by Martha. You can also check out the recipe on our socials here at Virgin Radio UK. Thank you so much for struggling in. You're very welcome. And then rolling out dough. I mean, <laughs> come on. Charring corn. Come on. Uh, have a lovely week and I'll see you next Saturday. Yeah, see you next week. Trains willing. <laughs> yes. The, uh, uh, the um, guest. Guest. Yep. And the guest voice we're trying to identify is this one. The opposing coach was like, you look familiar. Uh, and I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, are, are you that actor? I'm like, I, I think so. And, uh, he said, is that mustache real? I said, yes. Why would I be wearing a fake mustache? <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, waiting in the wings are some callers. They're all hoping to win a Graham Norton Waitrose gift box. Uh, it's delicious. It's got champagne. It's got sweet goodies. It's got a brand of used little cup. It's, it's worth winning. Okay. First up is Mario. Hello, Mario. Good morning, Graham. Hi. Where are you? Uh, I'm in the Oxfordshire, in the Cotswolds. Oh, the Cotswolds! Oh, if you win this Waitrose goodie box, people are going to be so impressed. I, I think they will. I was, I was in the Cotswolds a few weeks ago, and like the garage shop was a Waitrose. I was so impressed. <laughs> Yeah, they are a few around it. And M&S, yeah. Oh, I shouldn't say that, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. So off-brand. Sorry, next caller. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, what are you up to today, Mario? Um, just the usual sort of Sunday stuff. I was in the middle of making sort of breakfast, wrote lunch, what you want to call it. And, uh, yeah, just go out for a little stroll in the afternoon and just, yeah, just taking it easy on a Sunday. Beautiful. Okay, you were obviously, you were in the middle of making your breakfast, lunch, let's call it brunch. And yeah. you heard this voice, you thought, I know that voice. So who do you think it belongs to? I think it might be Tom Selleck. <gasps> Tom Selleck. Are you right? Are you wrong? The tension bed is playing. I am very tense. Here we go. Oh, no. It's not Tom Selleck, I'm afraid, Mario. I'm so sorry. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, look, you're still living in the Cotswolds and uh, you've got a lovely brunch to look forward to. So enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for playing. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye. Uh, Next up, we have Marion. Hello, Marion. Hello, Graham. Hi. Where are you? I'm in Billingham in Teesside. Oh, lovely. And is the sun shining there? It is, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a nice Sunday most places. And uh, what are you up to this Sunday, Marion? Well, I'm working. Oh, no. What are you doing? Well, I'm a social worker, so I'm writing reports. Oh, I, I see why you took some time off to play, yeah. to play guest the guest. <laughs> it was like any old distraction will do. Yeah. <laughs> and are you in the office or are you able to do it at home? No, no, I do it at home. I work independently, yes. Oh. Okay, well, that's not too bad. So you can kind of wander around in your pants and, yeah, it doesn't oh, matter. Yeah. yeah, lovely. Great. All right, Marion Teeside, let's see if we can cheer up your day of writing reports by winning a, a Waitrose gift box. Who do you think that voice belongs to? Well, I thought it was Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd, a good choice, because he has been on my show, whereas Tom Selleck has never been on my show. No. Uh, Paul, Paul Rudd's been on a few times. Are you right? Are you wrong? The tension bed is playing. We are all very tense. Is Marion a winner? Is she? Is she? Is she? Oh! Oh, that's a shame. Oh, Marion, I'm so sorry. I so I was so hoping we could cheer up your Sunday. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm afraid you know what's now. Yeah, back to those reports. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, oh, hard life. I know. Just just pretend I haven't hung up. Just keep talking on the phone and <laughs> kill another twenty minutes. All right, Marion. Thanks for playing. <laughs> thanks, Take bye. care. Bye. 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 But I have hung up. There we go. Uh, okay, next up is Ashley. Uh, good morning, Ashley. Hello, Graham. Hello. Oh, it's a lady, Ashley. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, where is Ashley? I am in um, Bangor in County Down in Northern Ireland. Oh, <gasps> Bangor? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a seaside resort, right? It is indeed, yeah. It's a lovely place. Yeah, no, I used to go there as a kid and we used yeah. to we used to swim out. I think it was a, a raft or something. You could swim out to a raft. I don't know. Yeah, diving boards. 
diving boards. The platform, platform diving boards. Oh, they're, they're new since my day, Ashley. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we were very happy with a raft. <laughs> <laughs> um, and is the sun shining in Bangor? Um, yeah, I'd like to say yes, but no. Yeah, if anyone's... Very overcast and very windy. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, are you one of those people, do you go uh, swimming every day right through the winter? Are you you that person who lives in a seaside place? No, definitely not. (laughs) You're my kind of woman, Ashley. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's see if we can cheer up your overcast day in Bangor uh, with a Waitrose gift box. Who do you think the voice belongs to? Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. The tension bed is already playing. It's very tense. Okay, it wasn't Tom Selleck. It wasn't Paul Rudd. Is it Will Ferrell? (gasps) It is! Oh, congratulations, Ashley in Bangor. I'm so pleased for you. Uh, Thank you very much. That is fantastic. That Waitrose gift box is winging its way to you. Uh, Is there anyone you'd like to say hello to while you're on the uh, radio? Yes, to my little boy, Freddie. He's listening in the sunroom with his daddy. Um, Freddie hasn't been very well this week. So um, I'd like you, could you say hello to him, please? I can, of course. How old is Freddie? He's three. Oh, Freddie. Is this Freddie, is this the first time Freddie's name's been on the radio or has he been on... It is indeed. No, first time. (gasps) Congratulations, Freddie. I'm for the first of many, I'm sure. And I, I hope you're feeling better, Freddie. But, you know. You're in a sunroom. Hello. <laughs> How bad? How bad? And now, and now there's a Waitrose goodie box uh, on its way to your house. So lots to be happy about. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, Ashley. Thanks for playing. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with the Waitrose. And hey, have you clicked that follow button on our socials? If not, you are missing out on all the behind-the-scenes action. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Speak soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.